In 2021, a lot of notable goaltenders will be asking for money, and we also have quite a few big-name RFA goalies who will be looking for new contracts. One of the expected names on that list just got his big payday. How does this deal impact the rest of his class? And if we look ahead to the next few seasons, should St. Louis Blues fans feel nervous? Episode 260 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. Before we get into um, the big news of the day, Brett, we do have uh, some minor headlines. And I guess this is a big headline. Uh, the NHL has a national rights deal, and it's with an old friend. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's definitely exciting news for any American hockey fan, but the... NHL is back on ESPN for seven more years, or seven years, um, after this one. Um, uh, so I guess the NBC Sports uh, ends their contract at the end of the year, and then ESPN will go there. It's looking like um, ESPN Plus, which is a streaming service that they have, is going to predominantly have a bunch of hockey games and, and all that stuff. For me, as I'll speak as an Amer- the American on the show, um, I'm very like when ESPN started to drop the NHL, it kind of came at the same time as the lockout and stuff. And um, at that point, I was kind of on a like boycott ESPN type uh, venom there. I, of course, I was like in seventh grade when this happened, so like I vowed to never watch any. Anything that ESPN ever showed because they even stopped. if it was on like ESPN ABO yeah. show, right? Basically, except I will say that like I had to watch it because like the Patriots would be playing or the Red Sox would be on, or I mean sometimes I watch the Celtics on there too. But um, and I you know I I grew up as well, so I was just like yeah, like I was aware that. Um, uh, like, you know, it, it's like a business thing. It's not like a, like maybe, I mean, maybe it was in part that they, they didn't want to cover NHL and after the lockout, they just felt like, you know what, like no one's going to care about the NHL afterwards, which is just basically a, a big F you to all their NHL fans. Um, but I will say like during all this stuff, I found like, like they played the, the ESPN music and it just brought me so much nostalgia back to the time when I would watch all those games on ABC and ESPN and stuff. So I'm just glad that it's back. And I feel like, um, like not, I mean, not to, uh, harp on NBC sports. They did a great job, um, with covering the sport, except like, I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of Mike Milbury. They could have, uh, they could have fired him right away, but, um, it was a wild ride and all that stuff, but when you have ESPN here, like it, it really feels like all of the like they speak for all of American sports fans. Like my dad, for instance, he watches ESPN um, maybe four hours a day, maybe five hours a day, um, and that's all they talk about is 
basketball, baseball, and football because they have those rights. And so when you add NHL in the mix there, I mean, they'll probably still talk about those three sports more, but I think it, it does give us the chance to, like, they will talk about the NHL more. Um, I think, like, a good example of this is that, like, for instance, like, the Panarin story, which is huge news in the hockey world, um, barely got a, like, like, no one was talking about it on ESPN, um, and I think that's all going to change when um, when NHL gets their rights back in the ESPN favor. So I think there is yeah, something like they, to they that. They did an article yeah. on Jordan Bennington's extension, which we'll talk about later, but yeah. not Barry Lee, but they, they had an article on that. I feel yeah. like they don't really report on hockey news all no. that much. Like they have, they have reports like Emily Kaplan and Greg Wyshynski who do yeah. pretty good work, but they are. that's all I hear from in terms of ESPN reporters that True. follow NHL hockey. And I think like it's only going to get better because they're like, they're just gonna have more options now because they have vest ESPN has vested interest in the NHL now. So I think it's it's only gonna get better. I, as you, I was about to mention that they do have Greg Wyshynski, who I I've loved even when he was on Yahoo. Emily Kaplan is pretty good too, mm-hmm. but um, but yeah. So I think like Barry Melrose is back in the picture. We also got Steve Levy, Linda Cohn. Um, all that stuff. I, I actually got really excited because they showed Stephen A. Smith, who's like this hot take person across, um, in like usually in the NBA and NFL world. But like when you, he, he had this like segment on the clips about like the five things he knows about hockey. And he was saying like the, the number one fact was. He knows the puck is black. <laughs> That's yeah, <laughs> which which I thought was funny. Or like he was like he said five was Seattle Kraken. I forget the other ones, but like he had like yeah. one that like Steve, a, Steve a form- Levi was mentioned. Yeah, Steve I think Levy, he was the second or third one. Steve Levy, um, his friend uh, Damian Woody, who's like who's an NFL analyst, is an Islanders fan. He knew that, so it's just like uh, for anyone who doesn't know, Stephen A. Smith is basically like Steve Dangle. Um, but like he has the same Steve Dingle energy, but he, mm. Stephen A. Smith has more of the hot take, st- um, stuff than Steve Dingle does. Um, but they both have very similar energy. I feel like that's the best comparison. Um, so, so it's just great that like, he's at least bringing some attention to it. I'm f- like, I'm, I'm going to get used to the fact that they'll probably mess some stuff up. Um, as they go, like, you know, the first couple of years, that's fine. That's understandable. But I think it's kind of cool that, like, so many, um, like, hockey will finally be um, much more attainable than um, than what it used to be. Like, I, you know, like, this is what I grew up on. This is why I love this sport, pretty much because it was on ESPN um, or ABC. So... So yeah, it's great. It's great news for any American hockey fan, just because. Like another example of this is like hotel. Like when you go into a hotel room, uh, some some channels don't get the NBCSN network, um, but everyone gets ESPN. So, um, so that's that's like kind of the, basically the comparison for that. So it's it's not that NBC was terrible or anything like that. It was just I think ESPN 
makes so much more sense for um for sports fans in general so that's good the interesting thing too is that i believe uh for you guys back in canada like tsn and espn are kind of related in the same way um and then but sportsnets has all the rights enough for the nhl so i wonder if like maybe tsn will get the nhl rights i think well they used to have it too so i wonder if tsn will be the hot place again um if sportsnet um somehow uh leaves it out or something like that but so i thought that was interesting. i highly doubt it because sportsnet has paid a lot of money they've invested sure. a lot into the nhl thing and They've, they've, they've lost, like, a lot of football okay. rights. Like, TSN has CFL rights. They also have pretty much all of the NFL rights. I don't think Sportsnet even broadcasts an NFL game, period, all season. Okay. <laughs> um, so I don't think they're prepared to let a lot of that go. They have, they have the channels there. TSN will probably – TSN already is streaming uh, shows like First Take, which uh, Stephen A. Smith is part of, right. by the way. Uh, on the afternoon, so they'll probably still um, streamline those shows. But in terms of the NHL rights, Sportsnet's under contract. They're they're not letting go of hockey. There's no chance um, because they've already committed to that. Now, getting to the appeal of ESPN and the broadcasting appeal, I think this is huge for hockey. Uh, the last NHL game that ESPN broadcasted was Game Seven of the 2004 Stanley Cup Finals between Tampa Bay and Calgary. Gary Thorne who, by the way, I believe is available, yep. uh, was covering national games for ESPN back then. Uh, back then, John Tortorella was the coach of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Daryl Sutter was the coach for the Calgary Flames. Yep. I, I'm interested how many hockey fans could be like, oh, he's still coaching the Flames. Right, no, I saw no, too. He wasn't coaching the Flames for a while. That's how long it's been since ESPN's carried a game. Yeah. Uh, but this it's just a coincidence, but yeah. That, that kicks in. Um... It's going to include opening night games, the NHL All-Star Game, the NHL Skills Challenge, as well as other events. There's going to be 25 regular season games on ESPN slash ABC. They'll have early round playoff series, one conference final per year. And uh, ESPN will also be broadcasting four Stanley Cup final series on ABC over this seven-year period. In between all of that... More than a thousand games per season will be streamed on ESPN Plus once this deal begins. ESPN yeah. Plus, I think Disney Plus is a big part of that as well. True. Uh, Hulu as well. Um, and there's also international rights involved. They have Latin America, they have the Caribbean, parts of Europe. That's where the NHL really hits home when you can get your brand it tapped into those other markets. Yeah. I think this could be huge for the growth of hockey because it's already grown. It's more valuable than it was in 2004. Um, and I think the lockout played and the salary gap played a big part in that. But the NHL is a much different league compared to 2004. It's grown a lot. But I think ESPN can make it grow even more, which getting out of the pandemic, I think that growth is going to be immensely important. Yeah, that, that is a good point, too. I, 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 the thing that I heard the most was that the NHL... Like ESPN, a lot of the games are going to be on ESPN Plus, uh, which is like the streaming service. Um, so I think that that's fine. That's to be expected, and it's kind of like preferable because sometimes I mostly watch games on the computer anyway. So 
Um, I'll just have to get like similar to like ESPN. I guess an NBC Sports yeah. Network kind of vibe. Yeah, basically, I'm gonna have to get ESPN Plus now. I have a Disney Plus account. I have a Hulu account. Um, yeah, so now I just have to get ESPN Plus. Um, so, um, but I guess I have like a year to do that <laughs> and and all that. Um, so, so yeah, that that's uh, the good news out of um, in terms of like the media world. Um, in terms of hockey stuff here, some not so good news. Um, Eichel, uh, Jack Eichel, is out for the foreseeable future, according to Ralph Kruger. Kruger. Um, but I sh- we should iterate that um, they don't think it's a season-ending one, which kind of doesn't really make sense, considering that um, there's only about like a month and a half left in the season. Uh, not to mention the fact that the Sabres have lost 10 straight and uh, they're likely not going to make the playoffs even if Eichel is healthy. So it may just make sense to just, you know, uh, have Eichel stay um, in IR even when he's healthy. Um, but because it's just not worth it. Um, but yeah, it's just for, like probably the worst season imaginable for the Sabres. It's kind of incredible in fact because I thought like there was a decent chance that like you know the Sabres could be the last team in this division but I never thought it would be this bad because I thought like oh I think Taylor Hall will make a difference I think Jack Eichel and Darlene will like step it up um like they have for the past couple of years and nope that's not the case and um yeah so they've they continue to stink, and um, yeah, it's just unfortunate. I the one thing is is that now that I have some Dylan Cousin shares in some of my uh, leagues, I just hope they don't uh, mess him up like they did for Casey Middlestad. Um, although Casey Middlestad has been okay um, when he's played, so maybe that's not a terrible thing. But I just want like I think Dylan Cousin should be developed better than what he is right now but he's also injured too um yeah he, he yeah. is he is injured um and he's i think anyways he's <laughs> shown a lot of fight like there was actually yeah. one time where he tried to get his team fired up by yeah. fighting so i i think i think that's when you know that's when you know as well as his skill. that's yeah. when you know it's a good trap well, no, I was just going to um, say, that's yeah, that's just, when you know the Sabres are uh, in a bad spot, is that a rookie, yeah. a rookie, like, a pros- like your best prospect, um, yeah, starts, prospects. yeah, what, like, initiates a fight, because he, uh, even though he's not known for fighting, uh, because he, he's the only one, just to show that he's the only one who cares about the team right now. <laughs> That's how you know how bad it was or got there. Yeah, and and it's like you said, Brett. There's no sure. Like I at this at the start of the season, I thought yeah. Buffalo has the offense, but their defense and their goaltending hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. It's relatively the same as the years before. Or it wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough to cut it against a lot of the Metro teams. You had Boston into that mix. Um. I, I, I don't really see how the Sabres can earn a top four spot. But at the very least, I thought they could be a 500 team, maybe below, above 500. And, like, they would 
yeah. they would show signs that they were getting better, and their offense would at least show up. And you're right, it hasn't done it. They've lost ten in a row, and they've been shut out three times during that stretch. And yeah, you have guys like Jake McCabe and Lionel Solmark who are also hurt. On top of Dylan Cousins, on top of Jack Eichel, even when those guys were healthy, this team was underperforming, and it's it. it it just feels weird that Buffalo could get another lottery pick. Like, yeah. it, it's it's absurd, in fact. And just downright sad. Like, a couple of years ago, like, when they were in the line to draft uh, Jack Eichel, in the, in the Mike Eichel draft in 2015, like, that team was bad. And that team was clearly rebuilding. They were trying to get on the right path. I think for sure this year, if not the year before, the year before that, that's where the rebuild ends and you start winning. Now it's just become an embarrassment. And if things don't change in a hurry, then you risk isolating Jack Eichel from the team and that's where things can get messy. So they better figure it out. Yeah, I think that is a good point. I do wonder, I don't know why Ralph Kruger has a job still. I think I wonder if it, like, it has anything to do with the fact that it's a pandemic. It's a lot harder to just get a coach in the system right away because, you know, yeah, he has to quarantine, he has to figure all this stuff out, kind of like what Daryl Sutter is doing in Calgary. But at the same time, like, Gerald Gerard Gallant is still available, yet somehow no one has picked him up. It's just, that makes no sense to me. So, like, you're telling me that Gerard Gallant can't fix the saber or can't, like, be an improvement over Ralph Kruger, um, you're crazy. So, um, so I think maybe there's something just in the fact that there's, um, you know, that there's a pandemic going on. This is a rookie GM, so maybe he's trying to be a little bit more patient. But there comes a time when you just have to, like, do something that's not working. And you can't, you know, yeah. you know, like... I, of course, I don't want, like, someone to lose their job. But there's been given enough ample opportunity for Ralph Kruger to fix this. Um, and he hasn't yet. So I think, um, I just don't think he's the right fit. And maybe eventually he'll get another NHL job. But he'll have to be, like, an assistant coach somewhere first. But, um, but yeah, I think, um... I, I, I truly don't understand why he's he's still there because it, it just doesn't make sense. When a goalie that hasn't started a hockey game for six-plus years in Troy Grosnick gets a win before yep. you do, that's <laughs> when you know it's embarrassing. Yeah. And I know that win was against Anaheim, and it's on the Rebuilding Kings. Right. But right. still. I mean, the Ducks... Yeah. You did. The Ducks are another team that should fire their coach, too. But, yes, you're right. Yeah, it's like... I, <laughs> it's if the Dallas Eakins starts next season as the Ducks coach, I'll be surprised. But Dallas Eakins should also be gone right now too. Gerard Gallant's still available. Like, especially the I don't know about the Sabers; they're probably out of it. But the Ducks are definitely out of it. Like, right, like, right. If, if you're if you're in the running for a lottery pick, um, you probably wait to the end of the season. I mean, maybe it's like the idea that... His days are numbered. Yeah, my only guess, and I can kind of see some valid arguments about it, is I think because there are no fans, there's like less expectation. It's just like, why why should we fire our coach 
now when there's no fans because they're not like making money anyway um even if they are good like there's no incentive for them to like fire their coach because they're not having fans anyways um so i think maybe there is something to that there's less incentive if you're yeah. If you're the Anaheim Ducks, there's even less incentive because you're not expected to do well anyway. Buffalo True. is at least expected to do something. Uh, I mean, I feel like they had similar expectations, both of them, throughout the year. But, yeah, I guess you're right that Sabres, they went out and got Taylor Hall. Um, and, you know, they have Jack Eichel. Their, their fans are much more diehard than Anaheim Duck fans are. But, yeah, you're right. It's I think there is more pressure in Buffalo. But they are kind of like in a similar place of kind of rebuilding, kind of trying to go for it at the same time. Um, okay. Debatable about the Ducks, but at least their franchise has won a cup in their lifetime. True, true. That, that's true. They're in better, um, and they have a better farm team as well. So, um, so there's that. And they had Paul Correa once upon a time. It was they like, had Paul Correa. That's and true. Salani. And and Solani. Although the Sabres did have Dominic Hasek, they had the best goaltender of all time. So yeah, they had a lot of good players. They had a lot of good players, but no. Cups. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so speaking of goaltenders, um, we have a. Um, so the biggest news here, I guess, is that Jordan Bennington resigns uh, for six million dollars uh, for six more years with the Blues. Um, of course, he's still under contract uh, this year, making four point four million. But this is like an extension, I guess, not a re-signing. But um, so yeah, he has six million left here. The interesting thing about Jordan Bennington is that well, first off, of course, he has a cup, unfortunately for me. Um, but like he had uh, during the regular season, he was really, really, really good. Um, he had a one point eight nine GAAA. And a save percentage of 927. Uh, but of course, those were 30 games. Um, he slowly got worse the next year. Uh, but he also started like 50 games. Um, he was uh, 13, 13, uh, sorry, 30, 13, and 7 um, in his first full year as the starter, um, which isn't bad, of course, but um, not as good as he was the year before that. But he still had like. A 2.56 GAA and a save percentage of 9.12. Um, and then this year, um, he doesn't have Jake Allen. He doesn't have uh, to like help him out when he's fatigued. Um, he doesn't have Alex Petrangelo as well. Um, although he did recently get, the Blues did get Tarasenko back, so that should help them. Uh, but maybe not defensively speaking. But uh, anyways... Uh, now he has a 906 save percentage and a GAA of 2.81. That's not good. And it, it's what's even worrying is the fact that he has, like, he's just gotten worse as the years have gone on. Um, and that's just, that's a, a concerning aspect if I'm, like, a Blues fan or if I'm Armstrong. Especially considering the fact that you're going to have to deal with him for six more years. Um, of course, it's not like a Carey Price situation because... Carey Price is making $10 million, um, for, like, a couple more, even more years, I think. Um, so it's it's not, like, it's not the worst contract. Um, Bobrovsky has kind of picked it up lately, so, um, but he's still not worth $10 million. So it, it could be worse, but at the same time, you're like, what are, what are you doing, St. Louis Blues, here? 
Um, also, um, as Steve ha has probably will eventually mention, but I, I'm going to get there first, <laughs> Steve. Um, in terms of his contract breakdown, the first year he gets $4 million, uh, n with a no-trade. Uh, second year he has $6 million with a no-trade. Uh, third year he gets $7.5 million with a no-trade. And then he gets, uh, for um, years, uh, year four, he gets $7.5 million again, but an 18-team no-trade uh, this time. Um, then year five, he gets a $6.5 million, which is a 14-team no-trade. And then year six, he has a $4.5 million contract and with a 10-team no-trade. Um, and, yeah, so the, it's it's an interesting dynamic here. I, I don't think I, I feel like this is too much for him. But, um, yeah, what are your general thoughts on this, um, on this deal? So there, there, there are a couple of discrepancies and a couple of disclaimers that we have to address when it comes to this extension, like any other deal. Um, should be noted um, that the UFA and the RFA goalie list. There's, it's not like every season we're like, oh yeah, like two or three or four key names that are going to dominate the situation. There's a lot of goaltending talents that's available to be signed this year. This is. A year of the goalies unlike any other that we've ever seen. And we'll get, get to that uh, later when we talk yep. about the bigger picture. Um, but we'll talk about Jordan Bennington as a whole. Uh, as mentioned in 2019, won the Stanley Cup as a rookie. Not easy to do, although Matt Murray did do it. Um, and he would have been an unrestricted free agent this year if he didn't sign it. There are a lot of big-name UFA goalies, one of which is Freddie Anderson, um, who has been in this league for longer and some would argue has just as decent resume as Bennington's. Uh, you look at the Markstrom deal with Calgary last year, it's exactly the same six year by uh, 6 million per. Um, and, and even then, because Markstrom was a late bloomer like Bennington, that's, I guess, a little bit of a gamble. Um, but the Blues seemed to be very confident that this was their guy. Uh, General Manager Doug Armstrong said that both sides tried to find common ground before the trade deadline. If nothing got done by April 12th, it would be revisited after the season had ended. So they were pretty confident going to the very last minute with this guy because they felt he was their guy and he was going to stay in St. Louis. And... Um, both sides seem to keep their words, and both sides got what they wanted, it looks like. Uh, prior to this deal, Bennington made $4.4 million per year. He signed a two-year bridge deal after he won the Stanley Cup in 2019 with the Blues. So a $4.4 million per year uh, signing compared to $6 million now, that's an increase of $1.6 million per year. So it's like not... Like you said, it's not like a Bobrovsky, it's not a Carey Price kind of situation where you're paying a goalie like a heck of a lot of money. Yeah. Um, prior to this uh, two-year pack that he signed, he was making 650k to 700k in around that threshold per year up until 2018-19. So that's three to four contracts, maybe five contracts within that threshold. Uh, and there's no bonus money either, so this is just straight-up salary we're talking here. Uh, so $36 million, not a single amount of that is bonus. Um, like you mentioned, Brett, the record each year, it's gotten better, 
but the GAA and the save percentage have gone down quite a bit. Um, but I think part of that is because in 2018-19, when he did so well, when he went 16-10 in the playoffs with a 9-14 save percentage and a 2.46 goals against average, back then the NHL didn't really have a book on this guy. He just came out of nowhere, and a lot of people knew about him. Like, he was a highly touted goaltending prospect for the Blues. It wasn't yeah. unknown, but you didn't see a lot of him in game. And that definitely explains the 24-5-1 record, part of it anyway. Um, it explains part of the five shutouts that he got. He was only facing 25.2 shots per game, so the defense was making it pretty easy uh, for him on the Blues. And in 2019-20, even though his GA went up, his save percentage went down, and he got two fewer shutouts, he was an all-star with 30 wins. Jordan Bennington was an all-star that season. Mm. So, he's, so he still had an all-star campaign, and his shots per game average went up to 28.6. So he was facing 3.4 shots per game more than he was as a rookie. So the workload was getting a little bigger for him uh, as well. And there, there are times, yes, where he has been kind of streaky like Freddie Anderson where – he goes through those rough patches, but there are also stretches where he's dominant and at the top of his profession. So there's there's no doubt that Jordan Bennington can be a capable number one goaltender in this league. And of course, like many goaltenders, it's really tough to establish that pure lockdown number one where you know what you're going to expect from him. He's going to be at the top of his game every single night and he's going to give you a chance to win. We saw that with Carey Price for many years. But that's kind of worn off. Uh, we've seen it many years with Andre Vasilevsky, um, but there have been times where he's where he's had some rough patches. Uh, we've seen it with Braden Holpe, and he's not the player that he once was back in the day. Same with Sergei Bobrovsky as well. Um, so I, I keep that in mind, um, obviously, when signing this deal. I think the term is what scares people the most like it's six years and you give him the no trade stuff especially with the stack goalie crowd and when you consider that connor hellebuck after the 2023-24 season is going to become a free agent the winnipeg jets will still have some uh, cap situations to work out of course in between it, it the the Jets could be in a situation where maybe they don't afford, maybe they can't afford to keep Connor Hellebuck, and a team like St. Louis could be in need of a goalie if Bennington's not playing well. Right. So it was a three-year deal or a four-year deal, I could understand that. But a six-year deal, that is where I think a lot of people are nervous when they look at this contract and they're thinking, I don't know that this this might not age well for the Blues. Yep. Not because that Jordan Bennington's old. He's going to be like 33, 34 when this deal ends. He's in the prime of his career right now. It's just going to be a matter of in this window to win where you have a lot of core pieces that are going to help this team become playoff regulars. In order to keep the St. Louis Blues the playoff threat, is Jordan Bennington the guy or is someone like Freddie Anderson or Connor Hellebuck the guy in a couple of years? And they also have these goaltending prospects like Colton Ellis, 
who's done very well in the QMJHL this year. You also have Joel Hofer, who uh, played very good at the World Juniors for Team Canada a couple years ago, won a gold medal. He's also in their system. So I, I just I just kind of wonder on the term if it was too long. I think most people are have issue with the term, not the money involved. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I think the thing that's concerning to me is just the fact when you look at his stats, it's like the fact that he hasn't like he hasn't progressed at all from his first year. I mean, of course, like keeping maintaining a one point eight nine. Uh, GAA is virtually unpo- impossible in this league, so I, I'm not like expecting him to be like a 930 save percentage guy for the rest of his um, his life. But at the same pers- at the same time, like he's at not he was at 912 the next year, um, and you know he hasn't even reached over 920. Um, just that that part starts to concern me, especially considering the fact that. I feel like like the, those two years he did have Jake Allen um, to like help him out or to help the Blues out at least. So that's the part where and now look at Jake Allen. He's one of the best goalies right now um, for Montreal. So I think there is some aspect to that as well. Um, and yeah, I think like what's interesting too is when I think what we were saying before the Blues won their cup was. Like, that was a big question mark, was whether Jake Allen was going to be the guy. Um, and what ended up happening was Jordan Bennington stood uh, stood on his head for a couple of months um, and, and started to become that guy. Um, and then uh, what ended up happening is then eventually the league started to figure Jordan Bennington out. And he stopped being as effective because more teams, like, the book was on him and stuff. So... So I think there is... No further evidence than the 2020 playoff bubble right. when you look at his stat and, oh, God, 0-5, oh 2.72 yep. GAA, 851 save percentage. Yep. Like, there, there's an argument to be made the bubble helped and hindered goalies. Definitely right. helped that. Jodemko didn't help Jordan Bennington at no. all. But still, like, those are alarming playoff numbers considering he went 16-10 and 10 in the playoffs the following year. Right. And so I think there is, like... Right, that, that's true. The playoff stuff, I, I don't really take too much into, like, the playoff bubble stuff just because it is so different, but um, because there is no fans as well. But I think it was definitely, like, just a, a weird, yeah, situation like that where it's, like, it's just got to be concerning when you see that. Like, that doesn't seem like someone you want to spend a long-term contract towards. Um, so that, that's just, it makes them more concerning for sure. Um, so I guess that kind of brings us to our next question here. Uh, can the blues become a playoff threat for these six years? Uh, so currently the blues are in third place in the West division. Um, they're, I mean, yeah, they, they played 28 games. So they're, they played the second most games so far in the in the west but of course you have like the ducks the sharks the coyotes and the kings in that division so it's it's a pretty easy division of course you have the minnesota wild who are picking it up and then you have the juggernauts um like the golden knights and the colorado avalanche as well so blues are like they should make the playoffs this year at least um however i'm not sure how they would stack up with vegas or colorado 
Not sold yet on Minnesota, although they do look good uh, so far, or lately, with Kaprizov. So maybe they they can sneak it in. Um, it wouldn't surprise me. It's it's hard to, like, I, I learned my lesson in 2019 that you should never count out the Blues. Um, but but I, I don't think it's... I don't think it's looking great for them uh, right now. In the future, I think it could become an issue um, just because, like, we're still not sure how, like, Tarasenko is going to be in the long term. Um, you know, they, do, they don't have Petrangelo anymore. Um, Tory Krug's been good, but he's not, a, he's not, like, good defensively. So they're missing that, like, defensive edge that they used to have and that's what you need in the playoffs um especially for someone as shaky as Jordan Bennington is so I'm not sure if they're um gonna be a I don't think they'll make the I don't think they'll win the cup but like of course a lot of things can happen in the six years but like on this team alone I don't think they could win another cup yeah, so um, just taking a look at the St. Louis defenders that Jordan Bennington has had, you're right, Petrangelo is a big name. They also have Colton Pareko, who's banged up uh, right now. There's Justin Falk, Tori Krug, as you mentioned. There's Marco Scandella. There's Robert Bortuzzo. Yep. Carl Gunnarsson, who's banged up. The season's probably over and is also a pending UFA. Um, so, like, a, a pretty decent defense core i would say i i do agree with the fact that uh, they might be losing their defensive edge with petrangelo there are some times where the goalies are left out to dry and billy huso to his credit has been pretty good yeah um but um the first game uh for for instance the first game that uh, after jordan bennington signed that contract it was thursday so they were playing vegas on friday blues got out shot 40 to 23 and Bennington took them to overtime. Uh, even though they, it was a back-and-forth game, the Blues uh, had a one-goal lead and, and, and couldn't hold it late. Um, they're, they're not really playing up to where they need to be as a team. And there's only so much Jordan Bennington can do about that because he can't kill penalties and score power play goals all by himself he, he needs help in that regard mm-hmm. and that's why hockey's a team sport so as a team the blues are i think not playing to the level they should be which is negatively impacted jordan bennington but it, it it is a bit concerning that when it comes time to make the big saves um bennington hasn't been able to deliver as often as he did in his rookie season and that's again because this league knows more about Jordan Bennington than, than they did back then. So now it becomes a matter of how, okay, how are you going to adjust? How are you going to adapt? And if there's one thing that Jordan Bennington has is confidence. He's very confident in himself. And I think that radiates uh, well um, for his teammates. His teammates feel it. The GM feels it. Um, the fact that there were a lot of big name goalies available that they could have waited on to the last minute and see where they're at with Bennington and the rest of the UFA class. The fact that they didn't even wait till the final seconds of trade deadline day to get this sorted and they got it sorted 
like literally the second the very second um, they were able to to sign him to an extension um i i think speaks volumes as well as to how much they value bennington um so i i, I think the fact that there's a lot of confidence there um is is going to be jordan bennington's biggest asset moving forward and it has to be because that's how he's going to be at that elite level that he was in 2018-19 his confidence was through the roof but I think as a team, they they need to to give Bennington some confidence right back. He's yeah. averaging twenty eight point six five shots face per game, so that's a bit more than what he was facing in his second season. Um, so I, I definitely think the, the that Bennington can be better, but I think his team can also be better. Um, yeah, and sure. I think that all could determine over the next six years how good the Blues could be, how um, they're their positions, um, how, how they shake up as a team, like how their core changes, like is Jaden Schwartz going to be still around and how much good hockey does he have left? Same with David Perron. Right. You have Selkie winner Ryan O'Reilly, like in the prime of his career. Uh, say, uh, you have Braden Shen in the prime of his career. Uh, the Tarasenko injury stuff, definitely. Mike Hoffman, what's his plan beyond this year? Is he going to be around? Um, so there's there's a lot of moving, ever changing parts um, that I think um, also play a key role yep. in, in where this team stands. Because this this team's gonna probably look a fair bit different, minus a couple of people. Of course, it's gonna look a fair bit different in six years when Bennington's like thirty three or thirty four and he needs to get paid again. Yeah, that's a good point. I I realize the only there's only four players right now that have. Um, contracts up till 2026-27. That's Biddington, Falk, Krug, and Braden Shen. I mean, not to, like, I mean, Krug and Shen are pretty good. Justin Falk hasn't really lived up to that contract yet. Um, but, um, but yeah, so that, that is an interesting part too. It's like, it's tough to really know because it's, um, because a lot can change year to year, but, um, and, and it's a hard thing to do is to be sustainably successful for th- that long. But at the same time, Jordan Cairo, he looks pretty good. Um, so I think that's someone that it could be like the, the team could build around once Tarasenko and Ryan O'Reilly start to um, go past their primes, which could be around now as well. So, um, so that's also something to think about too, is Jordan Cairo is looking pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. and, and yeah. like goalies, as we mentioned, are so tough to read. True. Um, like look at Matt Murray, look at Martin Jones yep. and, and how, and how good they were in their early stages with the Sharks and the Penguins respectively. Both, both guys are making a lot of money. One is on a shaky Ottawa team that, uh, doesn't nearly have a good enough defense. The other is on an aging Sharks core, and at at some nights, Devin Dubnik, the guy they traded for, looks better than Martin Jones. And other times, Martin Jones turns back the clock to 2016 as league goalie. Right. So it, it's really tough to evaluate, again, how Bennington is, is going to perform when you have, like, not even three full seasons of NHL duty to look at. Yeah. 
For sure. Oh, and also, he didn't even mention the fact that he punched a bunch of people um, when he was yeah. really upset. Uh, when he, and, and, you know, he I'm lost. glad you mentioned yeah. that. I'm glad you I mentioned forgot, that. I almost forgot about that. Definitely point to an issue it, it yeah. points to an issue is just like composure right yeah like in those big games in those big moments like if he does this in a regular season game like what happens in a playoff game if you're down like two nothing he starts doing that like yeah. that only works to fire up a team for so long by doing that kind of stuff because then your goaltender is riled. everyone in the building knows that your team knows that the other team especially knows it so Bennington and I'm sure this is something that he's going to adjust to. I have confidence yeah. that he will. He can't. Same. He can't do that anymore. No. He needs to be more composed and not rattled in the moment. And and there are times in the past where he's been able to bounce back from that. But you you can't show moments of frustration like Freddie Anderson, for example, in Toronto. There are games where like sometimes like he's hung out to dry or he's not playing well. I've never seen him act out once. Right. And and has no excuse to. Yeah, no, I, I almost forgot about that one, but yeah, that was a good one. I kind of, for some reason, I I was okay with it when it happened, and then started to realize, it's like, you can't really just start punching people. Of course, I'm a, <laughs> I am read for a team that, like, uh, punched a bunch of boxing crates when he was in the minors. Uh, of course, I'm talking about Tuka Rask and had a, huge t- t- tantrum but there's a difference because Tuka Rask was in the AHL yeah 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 I mean there is a huge difference because Tuka Rask was in the AHL when he had that tirade and uh Jordan Bennington's been in the NHL for three seasons now he knows better um so so there's that um okay and then lastly we have a question of because speaking of Tuka um, there's, uh, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, UFAs for the goalies this year. Tuga Rask is probably the biggest one. Uh, Freddie Anderson that Steve mentioned as well. I can kind of list out some, some other players as well here. Uh, Peter Mrazek, Louis Deming, I guess. Uh, um, sorry, <laughs> that's not the biggest one. Uh, Philip Grubauer, um, is a big one, Antiranta, James Reimer, uh, and then like Chesterkin, Samsonov, uh, Nadelkovich, uh, the other one, Sororkin, um, although those are all RFAs, Demko's another RFA, uh, Halak is another one, like Pekka Rene, Peter Morazic, I think I mentioned before, Chris Dreiger, um, I think Jonathan Bernier, who's sort of picked it up this year. UC Saros, although he's a RFA. A Carter Hart's another one who's an RFA. Um, so a lot of RFAs, but like still, like there's a very decent amount of UFAs. Mike Smith, another one. Troy Grosnick, after the that one game that he played. Uh, so so yeah, there's there's still like a lot of goalies out there right now that are eligible not to mention the fact that there's the seattle expansion draft too so that you know there's another team that needs a goalie as well so um that's that's also another element to it as well but uh yeah so the question here is how will this 
deal affect the goalie market in this offseason? I do wonder, though, to answer this question first, um, I think because, like, when you choose to protect your goalies for, like, Seattle, like, it's probably better if you can leave um, one of your goalies exposed um, and you don't necessarily need to leave your UFAs, no matter how good they are, because, you know, they're going to be leaving they'll be left under contract after that week. So like you could re-sign him or, like a week after if, if Seattle does choose them and but Seattle wouldn't do that cuz there's no guarantee that they would sign um right away. So so I guess like for instance Seattle could take Tuka Rask um but at the same time like they have a week to get him signed um which is unlikely. So um, so I think that's like an interesting aspect to it is that like there is a lot of these goalies that are available, but the the Seattle expansion draft will probably maybe the Bruins are like you know what let's sign Tugares for more um, for more years because we want to protect him for Seattle we don't even want to take that risk because um, you know or uh, they just uh, you know. Like teams like that will will do that, but so I think like there is that gear, but at the same time, for someone who has been so inconsistent, like Bennington has been, despite winning a cup, um, I think this could like this will help other teams be like in the negotiation table. It's like, well, Bennington got this, and I'm doing better than Bennington is right now. I'm I'm worth more than six year uh, six million for six years or something like that. So, um, so that that would be a good comparable for each one. But there it is good to mention that there are a lot of goalies that are going to be free agents this year. Yeah, so I, I feel like maybe the Bruins are best to like wait, not to say that they're going to move away from Tuka Rask. Yeah. But I think with all of this talent in the goalie pool. I think it would be the most proactive thing to just kind of like wait it out and see what happens. Cause I feel like that's what most teams are going to be doing beyond this year. Yeah. Um, Cause I don't see any like goalies outside of, I don't know, Jonathan Bernie cause he's on the Red Wings or Antiranta cause he's on the Coyotes. I don't see too many goalies really moving places. If a lot of teams think they have a chance to go to the playoffs with these guys. True. Um, so I, I'll I'll leave Freddie Anderson for last because he's arguably the big name for me. Uh, but I'll start with the pros and cons of of um, of signing these guys. And I, I guess we'll we'll start off with the RFAs because you would probably if you're gonna prime off these teams it would cost you. Carter Hart definitely the biggest RFA, um, and I definitely think he's gonna look at this Bennington contract. And I feel like Carter Hart is also kind of like Jordan Bennington because he's also been very good, but other mm. times he's looked really human. True. Uh, so I, 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 feel I will, like I will say on like Carter Hart, I just want to interrupt quickly. I will say yeah. like for, for goalies like Carter Hart or any of these young goalies, like there is a difference because they are RFAs where like, they're likely not going to be offer sheeted. Um, so that's like, you have to take that into account too. I mean, if Bennington would be an RFA as well, but um, I feel like that should also be taken into account where there's a difference between the RFAs and the UFAs. 
I feel like these goalies are probably going to get, if at the most, they're probably going to get like three-year deals, maybe right. like within like the three to four million dollar range, unless a team really likes them and like thinks that they're they're the they're the biggest thing since sliced bread, and they deserve the money and the contracts, uh, then they'll probably give them what they want. Yeah. Um, Carter Hart could could be that exception to the rule. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if he gets a three-year deal. You, you see Sarah's probably one of those guys that gets like a two-year or three-year deal. Yep, uh, a promising that. goalie, but uh, had, his, had his weak points as well. Thatcher Demko has emerged as the Canucks' legit number one. Yep. Like, forget Brayton Holpe. Demko's the future, and he's also the present right now, the way that he's playing. Alex Nedeljkovic, that could be an interesting situation uh, in Carolina because I think uh, – there's a certain amount of games here that he has to play or else he could become a rare UFA signing where he could join that UFA class. Um, so I would expect to see more of Alex Nadelkovic this year if the Canes want to avoid uh, that scenario playing out. Igor Shishurkin with the Rangers, he's also an RFA. Um, in the games that he's played this year, for the most part, he's given the Rangers a chance to win. He appears to be their number one guy. Ilya Samsonov in Washington is another. Um, I think there's definitely number one potential for him, but Vitek Vanacek has also played very well. Uh, Marcus Hogberg in Ottawa, tough to say what he is. Um, he's shown flashes of brilliance, but at the NHL level, uh, still needs to figure that part out. So now we get to the UFA goals. Tukarask. He's good. He has the pedigree. He's won Vezina trophies. He's been to Stanley Cup Finals. He hasn't won any Stanley Cup Finals, so he's directly been the starter. Which, which to be clear, Tim Thomas 2011 was the starter. But um, Tuka Rask, in his own right, has been a part of a lot of successful Bruins seasons. The problem is he's 34, 35 yep. years old. He's, he's nearing his mid-30s now. So there's the danger of signing him to a fair big contract. But I think probably like a three- to four-year deal is what they sign him for. Uh, Grubauer, having a very good year. Very, uh, I think he's making a... A fairly solid case for the Vezina. Like, he'll be top 10 in Vezina voting for sure. The way that he's playing right now, um, I don't. I think he's a wild card in terms of what he is and how much teams would be willing to commit. Uh, I think he could be in a situation where if he doesn't resign with the Avs, he could be someone that signs with a team that just missed out on, like, a big fish netminder. Right. Um, and they're just like, yeah, you know what, this guy, I think he could do the job. Um, so he's probably like right in the middle there. Peter Morazic, I feel, would be in that same range. Uh, injury history is also a bit of a concern, but I think he could be like a 1A, 1B type of netminder, like a similar situation in Carolina there. Uh, Pecorine, aging, might still have some good hockey left, but he's probably going to be like a one-year signing. Probably the same with Devin Dubnik um, in that category and in that respect because of his age and performance. Ansi Ranta injury history is definitely the big issue there. Um, but I definitely think the team would take him on a one-year or two-year deal because uh, he has the pedigree. Same with James Reimer. Um, although I think he needs to play in front of a good defensive team like he is in Carolina to mm. put up the kind of record he's putting up right now. Jonathan Bernier, 
I mean, the Red Wings are bad, but Jonathan Bernie's arguably been their best player yeah, he's been throughout good. most of the year. Like, he's stolen some games for them, and he's a valuable trade deadline piece. Uh, probably out of the goalies that could be traded, he's definitely at the top of the list. Uh, Carter Hutton and Curtis McElhinney, um are also there. Same with Henrik Lundqvist, same with uh, Craig Anderson. Um, so there are some low-key names um, that round out. But if you're talking about goaltenders that are going to be the cream of the crop, the best of their profession, it's Freddie Anderson all the way. Um, his first year in Anaheim, his first year in Anaheim, he goes 25 and 0 with a 9.23 save percentage and a 2.29 goals against average. Pretty decent first impression and his GAA is around 2.34, that's two years with Anaheim. He gets 35 wins in 2014-15, um, and then he goes 22-9-7 uh, and seven in 2015-16. Then Toronto trades for him. His first year at the Leafs, he goes 33-16-14 with a 9.18 save percentage, and he faces more than 2,000 shots for the first time in his career. The season prior, he yep. faces 1,086 shots, so that's definitely a big jump in both shots faced and workload. And he's up to the task. In 2017-18, 21 losses, which are a single season high for losses. But he gets 38 wins, plays in 66 games for a second straight season. His GAA goes up a bit, but he still has a 918 save percentage. That's pretty good. Then he gets 36 wins in 2018-19 uh, with a 917 save percentage. Only one shutout. And he gets 1,958 shots faced that year. In 2017-18, he had 2,211 shots faced. That's a career high for him by by a country mile there. Uh, last year, one win shy of 30. He went 29-13-7 with a 909 save percentage. So, yes, save percentage went down. Still played in 52 games. And it should be noted that during all of this time, Yes, he's had guys like Morgan Riley on his team. But he didn't get Jake Muzzin until midway through, I believe it was last year or the year before. Something like that. He had Tyson Berry for a full season. He also had guys like Jake Gardiner for a couple of years. He had guys like Roman Polak for a year or two. And a lot of young guys like Rasmus Sandin and Timothy Lilligren, right? Mm-hmm. So he has a lot of talent, but not a lot of defense-first defensemen. And he's also on a team that plays a kind of offensive game where if they get caught, there's a good chance you get a two-on-one or a three-on-two going the other way. Yep. And Freddie Anderson is going to be tasked to make a big save or two, right? He has been able... Time and time again, season after season, to carry the workload, be the guy, and by be the guy, I mean start 50 to 60 games consistently and put up a save percentage of like 9-10, 9 whatever it is. He's been the backbone of that Leafs back end for many, many years now. And yeah, he's had his weak points like all of these other goalies. Mm -hmm. But there's no denying that if you put Freddie Anderson on a team like St. Louis, 
on a team like Carolina, that team, a thousand percent, at the very least, goes to the conference finals. And I, I would I would happily bet money on that. Freddie Anderson being that type of goaltender for years and years and years. He is the top goalie of this draft class. Before Jordan draft Bennington class. got signed, he's definitely going to be after Bennington gets signed. He will make at least seven million a year, maybe eight million. And there will be teams like Edmonton, teams like Carolina lining up for him. So the the fact that St. Louis wasn't willing to, to take their chances on Freddie Anderson and wait it out is kind of a gamble there. And I think you will see a very big market for Freddie Anderson. And that's going to be tough for the Maple Leafs. Like this Jordan Bainton contract is very tough for the Maple Leafs now because now the ball is in their court. They have to keep Freddie Anderson on their team. And if they do, it might cost them Morgan Riley the year after that because that's when he's a UFA. Because they still have to pay Marner. They still have to pay Tavares, mm-hmm. Matthews, Nylander, all those guys. So it, maybe one of them gets sacrificed. I, do, I honestly don't know if a team offers $7 million or $8 million per year if the Leafs can match that. So it's going to be very interesting how the Freddie Anderson situation shapes up because that is, a, that is de- most definitely the big domino to fall next. Uh, I don't think anything else gets thwarted until we know more about Freddie Anderson, what he signs for and who he signs for. So I have two things. One, it's very clear that this is really what you wanted to talk about instead of Jordan Bennington's contract. You went on this for about uh, five, ten minutes about this this, uh, free agent class, which is fine, by the way, because you've been talking about this forever. I remember you saying that. Uh, secondly, and most importantly, um, yeah, Freddie Anderson is, I hate to break it to you, Freddie Anderson hasn't performed well in the playoffs, and I think uh, the, that was, that's a big reason why the Maple Leafs can't make it past the first round. Um, and not to mention this year, when Toronto's defense has improved on the shutdown game, he has an 899 save percentage, a GAA of 2.87. Yes, he has a winning record, 13-6-2, but that doesn't, like, you know, still, like, he should have more, um, he should have a higher save percentage um, than he does currently, especially since the Toronto's defense has been much better than uh, the years past with TJ Brody and, and stuff like that, so... Um, I'm not convinced that Freddie Anderson should be the guy, not to mention the fact that Jack Campbell, I mean, I know he's been injured recently, but even last year he was and also a small sample size too. He's outperformed Freddie Anderson. Uh, he had, uh, like this year he's had, um, I mean, he's only played in three games. I think he's returning this sometime this week. Um, he's had one shutout. He has a 951 save percentage. Of course, he's... It's only three games so far, so of course, like, you know, that's probably going to change, but he's looking pretty good when he's playing. He's also younger than Freddie Anderson, so I think Toronto might be better off staying with Jack Campbell, especially with what you're saying is that he's making so much money. Um, also, not to mention that, yeah, I mean, I, you do make some points that, like, you know, Freddie Anderson is the backbone of the Toronto defense. But Toronto defense hasn't been, like, is the weakest point of Toronto forever. So, like, 
that's probably like not a good thing that he should be the backbone of the Toronto defense because Toronto's defense sucks <laughs> for many years. So it's uh, so I don't think he. I mean, I know in Canada, Toronto is the heart of the media there in hockey. So I get the I get the hype, but. At the same time, I, I don't think Freddie Anderson will be the most, um, will is the best goaltender there. Of course, I'm a little bit biased because I think that is Tuka Rask still. Um, of course, Tuka Rask has his flaws as well, of course, and uh, the fact that he's 30 years old and all that stuff. But I think, like, you know, I feel like a lot of uh, teams will be lining up to make sure they get Tuka Rask, especially since he's the only one of this list that has a Vezina trophy um, as well. So I think uh, more teams will be lining up for Tuka Rask and the Bruins should lock him up. You're right that he is 34, so that should be like a concern, so maybe not long-term, but um, the Bruins should lock him up and make sure that he's there because he's a big reason why the Bruins have been successful uh, for many years. Um, and as for like the Blues, I, I think... Like, yeah, you're right, and as we mentioned, there are a ton of goalies out in the market, but at the same time, the Blues also have cap issues um, as well. They they can't spend too much. Currently, they have, like, $2 million left in, in cap space, so they, they don't have a ton of room um, anyways. So I think, like, they couldn't even afford Freddie Anderson, even if they wanted to. Because uh, they they're, they'll be in cap hell. I think they'll be. Let me see here. Uh, yeah, they'd have 60 million um, in cap space next year, um, freed up. But like they still have. Um, I guess they have. They could do it. They have Jaden Schwartz to sign and Mike Hoffman to sign. But um, so I guess they could and Jordan Cairo as well. But um, so I guess they could do it. But they they don't have a ton of room there that way. So. I think maybe, like, Jordan Bennington is just the best option just because he is an RFA. They weren't competing with anyone. Um, and I feel like if Bennington was in the market, he'd be making a lot more than $6 million just because of that cup, and that, that means a lot to people. So um, I think the fact that – and I just got more annoyed by the fact that you're saying that Freddie Anderson should be the key gem – in this in this goalie market when he hasn't proved himself in the playoffs yet so um and and he, yeah and like yeah he's he he has held Toronto together during the regular season um he's been a workhorse true but um more than Tuka Rask has been but that's like that means nothing in the playoffs yeah, and, and you know what? It's goaltending at times can be unfair yeah. because sometimes it's a result of of how good of how good the team is. Okay, True. like in that seven game series against Boston, I think it was in twenty nineteen. Freddie Anderson for the first six games was just an absolute gem, and then the seventh game it didn't work out well for him yep. or the Leafs. It and happened really, twice too. I mean, I mean, you look at Bennington's first 100 games, right? 63 wins, yeah. 915 save percentage, 2.4 GAA, faced 28.1 shots per game, got eight shutouts, right? He's seventh in the league in wins since his debut, 20th in shots faced, 
16th in save percentage yep. amongst goalies with at least three games played, sixth in goals against average. He has a pair of game seven wins in the playoffs, including against your Bruins yep. in the finals on the road. But if you look at if you look at the track record of Frederick Anderson, though, I know it's not as good. But if you put him on the St. Louis Blues, if you put him on a lot but, of other teams that don't have the same kind of defensive situations in Toronto, I guarantee you Freddie is at least one playoff yeah. series win with the Leafs. How about I this? guarantee it. Would you agree that the Maple Leafs defense has gotten better than in years past, right? Oh, 100%. This okay. year it's better. They have TJ Brody. Their, their team defense on forwards has even gotten better with yep. Wayne Simmons and... Spets has been pretty so, good as well. Like their team yeah. defense has improved. Yeah. 100%. Okay. So how? So you're in your theory that if Anderson was on a better team defensively, uh, he would be better. Then how come he has an eight ninety nine save percentage right now? <laughs> like, how do you explain that? I think like Jordan Bennington, Freddie Anderson can be better. He hasn't played. I don't think good enough consistently this year, but he has the track record. So then he shouldn't be the no, no, no. He, he shouldn't the be the most sought after goalie. <laughs> he's, he's got the track record. He shouldn't be the most sought after goalie. You just admitted that he can be inconsistent. Tuka Rats has yeah. been consistent. But Bennington can be as well. A lot of goalies have been. Gary Price True. Started no, I, I mean, yes, I'm aware that goalies are, like, inconsistent. But, but like, like Freddie Anderson hasn't shown that yet compared to Tuka Rask or compared to any of these other ones that we mentioned. In, in the big playoff moments, there have been times where Didn't Freddie tell. Anderson hasn't really blossomed. In fairness, his team hasn't either. Okay. His yeah. team, for whatever reason, in Game Sevens they can't win. Especially if it's against the Bruins, they can't win. But th- there are things about Freddie Anderson I'm willing to overlook because of what he has done in the past when it comes to shots faced, when it comes to games played, and when it comes to results, when it comes to wins. He has consistently been the backbone of that Leafs defense. Yes, he can be better this year. I don't think he's played up to expectations this year, but I'm confident he can, and he will be paid as such, whether it's by the Leafs or by somebody else. That I agree with, but I don't think he's like the most sought-after goaltender because of all the issues that you just mentioned. Yeah, there there could be a case where he gets overpaid, and I'm also and I'm also not denying that because we've seen it with right. Carey Price, we've seen it with Sergey Bobrovsky. You pay a goalie over $8 million per year, it's a bit of a risky yep. play. But I, I feel like if you, if, you bet, if you bet with Freddie Anderson, it's a bet more often than not you're not going to lose. Okay. I feel very confident in that. Okay. <laughs> so welcome to Leafs Talk. Uh, that's it for us. Um, <laughs> there are, uh, you can catch us on SoundCloud at Lace em Up. Our uh, Facebook is Lace em Up as well. Um, oh, and Spotify and iTunes, all that stuff. So subscribe to us there. Our Facebook is Lace Em Up. Our Twitter is Lace Up Podcast, where you get more Thatcher Demko love and I guess Freddie Anderson love too, apparently. Um, and that's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 261 of the Lace Em Up Podcast. There we go.